for the What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. Welcome to That's Deep, bro. It's me, Christina P. Uh, Back off the road, bros. I did it. I started touring again, and it was a maze. Uh, But I'll get into that in a moment. I have a few more dates left to plug. October 4th, Hyenas in Dallas, Texas. And there's two shows, a 7 p.m. and an 8.30. And I know it was incorrect on their website for the longest time. But if you want to go to a 7 p.m. show, it's in the Plano room, P-L-A-N-O room. Look at the Hyenas Comedy website, and um, you can get tickets there. October 5th, Houston at the Secret Group. Shh, just secret. October 23rd, Indianapolis at Morty's Comedy Club. October 24th, Cincinnati, Ohio. Go Bananas. And then December 9th and 10th, I'm at the Washington Improv. Uh, all the tickets, links, the ticket links are at Thousand Ranch. Dot com. Here's my husband. He's FaceTiming. You guys want to hear this nonsense? Hey, babe, I'm recording uh, that zebra right now. <laughs> did you did you land? Well, look. What do you think? <laughs> <Look at> me. <laughs> are you shirtless? Yeah. Looking good. Laying nice. in your hotel room. Yeah. Do you want to say anything to my listeners? Hey, what's up, <laughs> you animals? Ow! I just bonked my tooth. I'm doing my podcast as our kid sleeps because our nanny is um, out with an emergency. She hasn't uh, texted me yet, but we'll find out. Yeah. Well, listen. I better finish taping. What's it about? <laughs> What's it about? Well, uh, I'm going to talk about my trip a little bit, and then uh, I got I had some pretty cool insights on this trip that I'm going to share with them. And then I'll do some listener emails. Do you have any suggestions for my show? Uh, like, I mean, sometimes like when you go pee, Mm -hmm. um, like you'll, like I'll shake it. I'll shake it when I'm done peeing, Mm -hmm. but then some will drip out later. Mm -hmm. And I wish, I wish it didn't. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a, your mom's house dilemma. Um, (laughs) We should save that for the other show. Stop being, I want to stop being so sad that I'm gone. Okay. Oh, you do? I know. I want to be, I don't want you to be gone either. I get super sad. All right. I'm going to go play with my butthole. Talk to you later. <laughs> Thanks. I love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. There you have it, folks. Real life. That was real life. I had to take the call because my, um, you know, we had a tragedy today. Well, not a tragedy, but. Well, I don't know, actually. My, my husband left for the road, and our poor nanny, our sweet little nanny, got a call that her son was headed to the hospital from school today. So I don't know what's going on, and we don't have much time this weekend. So I put Ellis down for his nap, and I'm um, in the midst of recording that's Deep Pro for this week. We'll see how this all shakes down. Holy moly. So there you go. Real life, folks. Oh, uh, but back to business. Okay, so come see me do stand-up 
Um, also, Amazon. If you're doing your shopping on Amazon, use my banner on that's deep uh, Um I think that's all the business I had on that end. All right, let's get into it. Lots of thoughts for you this week. I traveled for the first time really since I've had my kid. It's been um it's been a while since I've been on an airplane. It's been like a year, I think. I last time I traveled I was 5 months pregnant with Ellis and uh and so yeah, I have so many insights <laughs> on the world of travel and on the world in general. So let's rip it off. Let's Let's go. This cha- the chaos ensues in the Segura house today. We're going to get through today and we're going to get through everything just great. All right. Let's play the Buzzcocks, right? I'm feeling like the Buzzcocks today. Oh, that's not the Buzzcocks. <laughs> oh, God, you guys. <sighs> we're off the rails on a crazy train, man. Man, I I swear I hate. Okay, here we go. I got the new iPhone in the mail. I gotta fix that fucking thing now too. Technology. All right, Buzzcocks. While I pull something else out of my dog's mouth, here we go. So many good songs this band. Now this one's fucking rad too. You ever heard this one? It's called Ever Fallen in Love. It's good. Mm-hmm. They're just solid. 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 They're old. 77 to 79. You ever heard this one? <laughs> I feel like every band ever copies them. Anyways, I feel like Green Day and all these uh, fuckers just copied the Buzzcocks, right? Oh, here we go. Here's the chorus. It's good. They're good shit, dude. All right, late 70s. There you go. The heyday of... In my opinion, rock music. I like punk. I like old punk. You guys know that. I don't. I can't. I don't think. I don't think Green Day counts as fucking as anything. I think once Green Day came into the world, I was like, ah, punk's officially dead. It, it officially died with Green Day. Some people would argue it died even sooner than that. Yeah, I probably died in the eighties. But um, good lord, good lord, get your life, Buzzcocks. So. 
Uh, as I said earlier, my son is napping. I have the baby monitor right here. You can. I also I have a, a sound machine that plays here. I'll, hear that sound? Everybody knows that sound. That's a baby monitor. And uh, I do put a noise machine in there. It sounds like a rainforest, so he can't hear the, my dogs barking every two seconds. He can't hear me next door recording a show. Thankfully. Boy, can't wait for the new house. We're moving in November, guys. So I'll have a proper studio. We just, we, every place we've lived, we just make a makeshift studio and a spare bedroom somewhere. And that's no way to live because you gotta, you know, you can't have your kids' room next to your studio, obviously. Um, especially when we, we tape your mom's house because we laugh out loud or screaming. My husband yells in a funny black voice and it's, um, it's no good for for doing something creative. So, but there you go. Anyways, I had a wonderfully amazing. Uh, I just what day is it? Friday. I flew home yesterday from shows. My first tour dates in Portland and Portland and Seattle and I mean Tacoma. Let's be real, guys. And it was so it was so interesting to go back to the life that I had led before I had a son. Um, before my life changed, it's like, it's like going back to another era that no longer really exists for me. It exists completely differently now. And, um, I haven't been on a plane in a year and it was bizarro to, to see just, it's still shitty. You know, I was like, oh, this feels exactly like it used to like TSA is, is retarded as ever. Um, you know, those people, those poor people who work at the TSA, their spirits are crushed harder than ever. Could you imagine having that job? I mean, God bless the people that do work for the TSA, but I mean, look, and I'm not a genius either. Uh, cause I, I've watched TSA, poor TSA. I mean, there are people that don't fucking understand the basic principles of, uh, put your fucking bag on the, that rolling thing take your fucking shoes off and empty your pockets. Like those are the only three things you have to do, right? Or one of the handful of shit you need to know. Take your laptop out of your bag, asshole. Take your shoes off. Take your coats off. Take the belt off. Anything with metal that's going to set off a detector, take it off, dummy. But you'd be surprised how many Americans are incapable of following those basic fucking directions. And I can see it on TSA's face. They're just broken down, (laughs) beaten down. Being down. I don't blame them, man. I mean, no, I, I don't know. I think I do. You know, I, I don't know. It's complicated. I get it. It's a job. You know, it's a J-O-B. But that ain't the way I live. I can't do it. So, fuck. Someone's got to. And I, I flew and I, I smelled the smells of the airport. I sampled the cuisines of the airport. I sat and I, I was bored for the first time in nine months since I've had a kid. When you have a kid, you just, you, there's no such thing as bored again. There's no such thing as like, oh, let's just sleep in and have brunch. What are we going to do today? There's no sense of that. So that was kind of neat to have a moment of just boredom and to actually be worried for once, like, what the fuck am I going to do on this flight for three hours? <laughs> and I talked to people I normally never did in the past. I would just, you know, put the earbuds in, the shades on and block out everybody. And I actually had a few interesting conversations. I had a good cab driver in Portland who played, um, like spa music in his cab, you know, like the spa channel on Pandora and, um, like Navajo flute music. It was so bizarro. 
you know, we talked about the gun laws and Hillary Clinton and all that stuff. And I learned about naked bike rides and PDX. Did you know that people just ride bikes naked in Portland for fun? I think once or twice a year. And they do it on rental bikes, which is disgusting. Uh, anyways, my shows were amazed. Two sold out shows. So thank you guys for everybody who came in Tacoma and in Portland. I mean, I got to tell you, as somebody who's been doing stand-up comedy for so many years and doing it to, you know, people that don't know who you are, and, and like the way comedy kind of works in the beginning before you have a following is you're just like a monkey that entertains people at a restaurant. <laughs> like the, you know, these major clubs that you do, these chain clubs, they're just restaurants Um, They're just selling food and drink and they don't really give a shit who's chimping around up there. So what happens is as an entertainer, you're just like, oh, I'm I'm an artist. I just want to get my, I just want the following. So when people show up, they're aware of what I'm going to be like and they're not going to be offended, disappointed, whatever. Uh, So for years, you just entertain people that fucking hate you for the most part. And then there's like a small percentage that likes you and comes back. You know, and you slowly would build a following. That's how comedy worked in like the 80s and the 90s before the internet. You're, you're a door-to-door salesman, essentially, hoping that you retain some of the audience that comes to see you the next time you're in that town. And it's fucking tedious. And that's why it used to take people like 20 years to get super well-known, you know? And and anyways, I, I just so... I'm so thankful uh, to this little thing called the internet, to the podcasting world, that people showed up to these shows and knew who the fuck I was and laughed and we all had a great time. And like, man, I just like, I would just cry at the end of the show out of joy because it really has been a long road (laughs) to get here. And I've done every shithole in Florida and Ohio, every shit can and every shit can and every shit town outside of cities and every, I've done everything. I've gone to the middle East just to get stage time. I've, so it was, it's a huge, wonderful blessing when, um, when your life, when you get your life, when you get your entire life and it, and it comes together. So I'm, you know, when people are like bummed out about getting older, you know, when you hear, I don't know that, that whole myth, like, Oh, I'm 40, I'm dying. Like, I think the only time people get really bummed out about aging is if your life sucks because there's no reason to not enjoy getting older unless you you really hate where you're at. I mean, not saying that my life's perfect and that I, I could lose a few LBs. I'm sure there's some stuff I should do, but like, I don't, I like where I'm at. I'm pretty, I'm pretty content. Um, which leads me to another thought. I got to see two people who I hadn't seen in 15 years. I, I had a roommate from college who I, I studied at, at Oxford with and I, lived with this person in San Francisco for years and I hadn't seen him since I left San Francisco when I was 23 years old. And we've, we know we kept in touch, but we just never crossed paths face to face and all this time. And I sat down with him and we had, you know, a meal before my show in PDX and, and it's a, quite a trip to, to meet with someone who knew you when you were young right? Like for somebody who knew me when I was a 19 year old chain smoking, um, philosophy student full of angst, wondering what I would be, who I would become, where I would go in life. 
And I was full of anxiety at that age because I was convinced that everything had to be perfect, right? I had to get straight A's because I didn't want to go back home because I wanted to graduate with good grades so I could go to grad school maybe. I don't know. I just, I was so driven to not go home. <laughs> I, you know, and I know a lot of people go back home later in life, like in the 30s. And that's cool if you like your parents, but I did not like my parents. So the thought of going home was, you know, I, I'd rather be homeless uh, than than go back to live with my parents. And so for me, it was do or die. And I stressed out so hard my first year in college, I gave myself the shingles just out of stress about wanting to get straight A's. And and guess what? I fucking did. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I got fucking straight A's. I was on the honor roll. I went to Oxford. So I wanted to prove that I wasn't a dummy, you know, because I had gotten kicked out of public school. I got kicked out because I hated it. And I was getting into fights uh, with, uh, with black girls all the time because I was goth and mouthy and whatever. And I just stopped going to public school. And my parents thought I was a loser and whatever. So I was trying to get my parents' approval by going to Oxford and being smart, getting straight A's and being on the dean's list. And guess what? They still didn't give a shit. (laughs) My mother liked that I went to Oxford because it was a badge of honor for her. She She could brag to other people that her daughter was at Oxford University. And quite honestly, that's probably why I chose it, so that I could sound important and make my mommy love me. And well, that didn't work out. Uh, I'm proud of myself that I did it. I'm glad I did it. And uh, I got to tell you, I don't agree with this whole horseshit movement now uh, that kids shouldn't feel negative feelings, that we should have, nobody should have hurt feelings. Nobody should feel bad or shamed about themselves. I think that's really stupid uh, because much of my motivation came from a fear of shame a fear of ridicule, a fear of failure. And uh, bad feelings can be really beneficial. (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, Anyways, it was great to see my friend. And I saw another friend I hadn't seen since I tripped acid in Lollapalooza in 1992. This guy who was friends with my then teenage boyfriend. So I got to see friends that I had known as a young person. And what do we say around this? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There we go. And guess what my friends were? Now, we were all kind of messed up teens, right? We were all, all of us came from wacky parents. We didn't really know this at the time. I don't think you really realize it when you're that age, why you're attracted to certain people. Um, But now as an adult, as a 40-year-old woman, I, you know, I talked to both of these friends and, um, and, you know, we took inventory and, and it was like, check, check, check. Your family was fucked up this way. Mine was fucked up this way. It was like a mirror of dysfunction. And no wonder we were attracted to each other. We had similar unconscious business that we were dealing with, I think. But I got to tell you that my friends became wonderfully inspiring, successful uh, people. Successful in in their personal lives, in their relationships successful career-wise became wonderfully successful people and I got to thinking you know imagine if I had met up with these people and I was like god damn it I'm a fucking loser right (laughs) and I I didn't do you want to know why you're all fucked up (laughs) (laughs) but I 
I started to think about that, you know, that what if I, if I were 20 years old or 19 and what, what would I think about myself if I met myself now at 40? And I ask you, what, what do you think, you know, as maybe you're 40 now, maybe you're 20 now. And if you're 20 or 19 or whatever, early in your life and thinking about your 40 year old future self, what do you see? What do you see for yourself? Because I didn't have a very super, super clear vision. I just, I had a broad stroke vision and I think so did my friends of who they were. And I think we all wanted to be smart and we all wanted to have good marriages and relationships and we all wanted to have careers that we were fulfilled in. And for me, that was a non-negotiable. I absolutely refuse uh, to to feel like a prisoner to a job that I don't like. I, and I honestly, I don't know how people do it. And I know you have to, and I know that it's hard. And sometimes people have obligations to fulfill financially to their families. And they take bad jobs. And But I'm talking to the younglets here that just know that it comes quick, okay? 20 years goes by in the blink of an eye, believe it or not. And... I don't know, man. All I'm saying is I'm glad that I became the person that I became and that and that it's possible. And I and I really I know this sounds so ridiculously cheesy, but I I was flying home and I was so grateful for the experience that I had and to hang out with these friends that I had known as a really young girl, a girl basically. And um and I was thinking to myself how fucked up I was when I was that age. I was, I was so fucked up when I was 15. You want to know why you're all fucked up? <laughs> I was so fucked up at 15, at 20. Confused, terrified. I didn't know what I was going to do, who I was going to be. And I just wanted anybody listening to know that you are not your history. You are not the trauma that you've endured. You are not your failures. You are not your physical body or the sicknesses that you may have. You're not your mom and dad. You're not the oppressive church that you grew up in. You're not that piece of shit teacher that told you you can't do something. You're not money. You're not what you have. You're none of these things. Who you are is a timeless spirit an entity, a being, a blessed child of God or Yahweh or whoever the fuck, your, your creation manifests. You're special. Believe me. Believe me. I, I think having a kid has taught me how rare and special every one of us really truly is, man. The absolute improbability of your existence, I mean, think about it. Of millions and millions of sperm and you know, a handful or 20 eggs or whatever, you became you. And there's no one like you. There really isn't. I know that sounds corny and you've heard that in church and shit growing up, but genetically speaking, there's nobody identical, identical. Yes, there's twins, but they're not exactly, exactly, right? I can't be. But just know that if you're listening and you're like, I don't know, I'm a fucking loser. I come from this shitty family. My dad's a drunk. Um, My mom is a fucking animal too. (laughs) These examples sound familiar. Um, I was raised a certain way. I can't do that. No, no, no. No, 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 boo-boos. It doesn't matter. 
it's uh it's not about that and you can decide uh to be to be a better version of you and to be a, a person that does meaningful shit and you can live a life you want to live believe me it's it's hard and it's not easy that's why a lot of fucking chicken shits out there don't do it a lot of chicken shits don't follow their dreams because they're fucking chicken <laughs> they are they're scared everybody's scared but what do you i you know what i'm more afraid of not doing it not doing it not following the dream not following you know i could have i could have given in a few times I could have gone to law school and stayed. I dropped out after two weeks because I knew it was terrible. I could have quit. I could have gotten a day job many times as a comic, but I knew that the pain of giving in far outweighed the pain of going on. So I don't know. Eventually the pain of not doing the thing you want to do will outweigh the fear and you got to fucking do it. So there you go. That's my, uh, my rant. I wanted to read something to you. I got an email from this very interesting girl named Sarah, and uh, I'm just going to read you a little bit. I, I thought this would be interesting for you guys because I know a lot of you write in and you go, should I get a job or should I go on an adventure in Europe? Should I see the world? Whatever. Okay. Okay. Let me see. It's just, this girl says, I live on the road permanently working seasonal jobs in places like national parks and travel around the world between jobs, finding myself and shit. <laughs> I love my gypsy lifestyle, but thank God for podcasts, which are my only constant. That's very sweet. Okay. So I wrote to her and I said, would you mind either coming on the show or kind of describing your life and what you've learned? So she kindly wrote me back. And um, I just thought I would read it to you because I, I think it's so interesting. And I, I really commend people for having the cojones to kind of to, to do this. And to do this while you're young is really a key. And if you're not young and you have no obligations to anybody else, then just do it. Okay, this is from a girl named Sarah. She says, I was working 60 hours a week in a cubicle just to pay for my apartment, car, etc. And I didn't understand the point of anything I was doing. No shit. Neither did I, boo-boo. I felt like there was so much I would do if money wasn't an issue, but I have a lot of student debt and money is a huge issue for me. Realistically, I'm never making six figures despite that master's degree. So I decided to go to the opposite direction. I quit my corporate job, sold everything I owned, ditched the apartment, the car, and no longer had any bills besides credit cards and student loans which I set on automatic minimum payments and completely ignore. <laughs> I work seasonal jobs where I can get room and board at places like national parks, ski resorts, ranches, any kind of vacation destination. Without paying rent, I can save up money quick, which I immediately spend immediately spend to leave the country. I work seeing the U.S. and travel seeing the rest of the world. Mostly I go to South America to work with plant medicines like ayahuasca and San Pedro. I've only been doing this almost two years, but I barely remember my life before. I never felt like I belonged anywhere, and I think it's because I belong everywhere. Every place feels like home in some way, and strangers quickly become my family. Meeting people abroad has restored my faith in humanity. We're not so bad. I've learned money isn't real, borders are imaginary, and governments are a distraction. 
Seeing more of our actual planet constantly trips me out. What is this enormous spinning ball of beauty and why are we here just wandering around on it? Even just being places in nature where it's a lot easier to die puts things in perspective. I spent six months in Yellowstone where people constantly fall off cliffs. Hilarious. Someone got eaten by a bear about 30 minutes up the road from me. Wow. This year, someone fell off, fell into a geyser and disintegrated. <laughs> Stupid. Travel slows time down, and now it seems like possibilities are endless. I think there is something about variety in scenery, people, food, weather that resonates with our nomadic past, and I feel very in touch with myself as a human, like I'm finally living in a way that is natural. Of course, it's the internet that makes all this possible. I'm of the belief we are coming full circle back to our roots as creatures of the earth with technology and the spreading of information awakening the collective conscious. A lot of people think we are giving birth to artificial intelligence, and if that's the case, I'll probably write out this disa- that disaster deep in the jungle. Amen. Either way, I think humanity is in transition, and as a human, I want to explore and experience everything that is happening. And for me... I just couldn't find that in a cubicle. No kidding. Amen. Thank you, Sarah, for writing that. What a beautiful, uh, wonderfully articulate email about your existence. I really like that. I think humanity is in transition uh, too, my love. I mean, if you look at what's happening, technology in the last 50 years has evolved, excuse me, greater at a rapid pace at a more rapid pace than any time in human history. <clears throat> Meaning in the last 50 years, we've taken like a quantum leap in terms of technology and how we live. And I mean, think about even somebody like me, <clears throat> what the fuck is wrong with me? Am I 80 years old? Um, who grew up with an old school phone in my house and a, a answering machine and you didn't hear from people all day. You just went out about your business. You came home, you checked your messages and, and that was it. There was no constant, constant barrage of texting and emailing and social media updates and all this stuff. And not to say that it's all bad. It's not, but it's kind of crazy for me who's only 40 to go from zero to what I deal with now and imagine what our children will be like. Holy moly. It's going to be pretty crazy. Um, interesting. I love this idea of how how easy it is to die. I agree. And I, I don't think just in nature. I feel like in um, urban life too, when you think about um, the probability of your death in a car, which is quite high, <laughs> not so much in airplanes. I know in airplanes they say it's less, but I feel like you know life is fragile. And I think once you've had a few deaths in your life for someone close to you has died you're like oh my god it's so it's so fragile okay um what was i gonna see this um yeah well i love that she went for it and i think that that's so so uh inspiring i really 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 love that stuff See, I just got an email. This is so funny. You know, I feel like everything is unconscious. This show is a stream of consciousness. It's so funny how it it unfolds. And it's like, I had forgotten about Sarah's email and I just pulled it up and then I just starred this other email I wanted to read and it correlates perfectly. Let's Let's get into it. This is from Amy. 
I'm writing because I'm in a situation that is very exciting and very scary and I'm afraid of what to do. Currently, I work in finance as an administrator and I work for a very large company in a secure job. I make good money for someone who is not college educated. However, I am very unfulfilled in my job. Mm-hmm. My boss is pretty great, but the environment makes me feel like I'm a crazy person. The office people are very stuck up, and I've been here for two years without a work friend in sight, and it's been wearing on me. Oh, no. I'm in a business that I don't plan on pursuing for a career. My dream is to open a bed and breakfast with my husband. We're newlyweds somewhere. We have planned on working our current jobs for the next 10 years or so, buying a small house in the meantime, and then selling it when the time came when we were ready to buy a B&B. Sounds great, but I don't want to wait 10 years to start my dream. And I am at the end of my rope at my current job. After some Google fuck research, very good, I found multiple legitimate websites where B&B owners are seeking live-in innkeepers for their B&B. That's cool. That's a dream come true. I played with the idea in my head in kind of a fantastical way as it's my far-off dream and then got a bit more depressed because I didn't think I could make it a reality. I've been a bit depressed about my current job. I'm progressing within the company and my boss is impressed, but I'm depressed. I drive an hour to work every day, see my husband two or three hours when I get home, and then it's off to bed. Is this what life is supposed to be? No. My husband noticed the depression setting in, something I've never really experienced before. Okay, so we'll spend a lot of time discussing these jobs. I think she's talking about being an in-camper. Looking through help wanted ads in states we might be interested in living and found a lot. Now I'm faced with my husband on board. Oh, that's cool. To start my dream almost immediately. I want to logically have some savings before I up and leave my job to make the leap, but I find myself extremely terrified and excited for the first time in my life. I don't know what to do. The fear is paralyzing, but the excitement is thrilling. What do I do with our apartment? What about all our stuff? What about Catechus, my cat, obviously, and Vito, our pup? <laughs> Mommy, what am I doing? Am I jumping ahead of myself? If we take one of these jobs, it includes on-site living and salary. We are 25, 25 and 27. Isn't this the time of our lives to take risks? I feel like we would both excel in this field of work. All right, all right. She's afraid. She's afraid. Well, who isn't? And it's so interesting, right? This email comes in at a week where... I can look back on my own life and tell you that life is not without crippling fear. (laughs) Um, There's a wonderful book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. It's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. Did you hear me? Read this book now. For anybody who's listening and they want to get their lives but they're afraid. You're in a transition. And by the way, most of life is change and transition. It's not something I deal with very well, according to my therapist. Uh, But when it comes to your life and when it comes to how you're going to earn a living for the rest of your life, there's no greater decision than this. And And I really, really think that, yeah, you should go for this. Of course you should go for this. And what do you do with your stuff? You put it in storage or you sell it. You have storage units near your place? Put it to, put your fucking shit in storage. And I guarantee you're going to realize you don't need a fraction of the goddamn shit you own. You ever um, travel for a while and live out of a suitcase and you're like, dude, I, I don't even need the shit that I brought. Like, <laughs> You're going to find that you don't need the majority of the shit that you have. And your cat? 
I mean, and your dog, I would either ask if I could bring it to the new gig. A lot of these B&B places might love that there's a cat that the guests can pet or a dog. Um, A lot of guests would love to have that. And if not, maybe there's a family member that can watch your animals until you come back, until there's a change, until they can be in your life again. But obviously don't give them away to a shelter or anything like that. That's terrible. They're your children. So what is fear? Well, according to that Susan Jeffers book that I recommended for you, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, fear is fear is the worry that you can't handle something, truly. The fear is I won't be able to handle myself. I can't handle what comes at me. That's, that's part of fear, right? I won't, I won't be able to handle it. And by the way, really successful people really successful people feel fear every day and push past it and just do it. You think Hillary Clinton wasn't terrified of the debates? That bitch took two weeks to prepare. Two weeks for those debates. She was scared. (laughs) Everybody, everybody that has a soul, unless you're a sociopath, you have fear. And most of the time, like I said, it's the fear of what, what am I going to do? I can't handle it. That's the unconscious sentence you're saying. I can't handle this. Well, look, it doesn't sound like you're losing anything. Okay, so what? You got money. Guess what? You can make money doing almost anything. Really? Listen to what Sarah said. She makes her money in different parts of the world, different parts of the U.S., and then goes travel. Money can be made. If you can make it once, you can make it again. Believe me. But you're not going to be 25 years old and 27 years old again in your life. If you think you're going to live forever, you're not. You're going to be 40. You're going to be 40 before you know it. You're going to be sitting in my seat and I'm going to be 60. (laughs) So yeah, do it. And you might fail. In fact, count on it. Not necessarily at this venture. I don't know why you would. But Dan Pena, by the way, who I researched and I read his craziness, his horrible ebook, which is unreadable. You know what Dan Pena's whole thing is, by the way? To break down your fear. He tells his, um, his people to do something that scares them every day. Do something that scares you every day. Um, to break down that head, the voice in your head that tells you you can't do stuff, that it's scary, it's too scary, I can't do this, I'm, I'm not going to succeed, I'm not going to succeed. Well, let me tell you something. And then I know this sounds like an Instagram quote, and I think it is, that successful people, you only see the success. You don't see the many, many, many failures. In fact, Dan Pena said, I was listening to his podcast, and he said, I got 300,000 orifices. I've been, no, no, there's, your body has 300,000 openings. I've been fucked in every one of them. (laughs) Which means, yeah, billionaires make mistakes. He's been screwed a million times. Everybody, you're going to make failures. Failures are, failures are more frequent than successes. And that's why the successes are so important to celebrate. Look, stand up is a game of failure. You fail constantly. And it's learning how to fail and get back up and do it again the next night and do it again and do it again and do it again. 
my recommendation is go the Dan Pena route. Do something that fucking scares you, and then this will feel like nothing. I'm serious. You ever done something like... I remember when I came back from Afghanistan... And I was, um, and I had seen war firsthand and I'd been, you know, I'd seen like little kids that had their body parts blown up from stepping on, um, those horrible, uh, you know what they called IEDs? Sorry. Not I, not IUDs. (laughs) Those are something different. IEDs. Um, society seemed really stupid to me. And I remember thinking, wow, I really shouldn't care about the crap that I care about because there are people getting their fucking legs blown off. And I watched it and I saw it and I'm worried about, oh, I'm going to pay my credit card. (laughs) What about me? (laughs) What am I going to do with my stupid life? You know, I'm just saying in the big picture of things, a lot of people go, oh, Christina, aren't you afraid of speaking in public? That's that's the number one fear, right? Aren't you afraid of speaking in public? And I always tell new comedians who are trying to get over themselves because that's really what you're doing. The first four to seven years of stand-up, you're getting over your ego. You're getting over yourself. You're, you're getting over the fear of failure. And once you conquer your mind, you conquer that fear of failure, you become a good stand-up comedian. That's the secret. That's one of the many things you conquer, by the way. But number one is that fear of failure because if you got the fear in you, the audience smells it and you're going to bomb. That's not the only reason you can bomb, but it's definitely one of the the big ones. Um, So if you can conquer the mind, and by the way, uh, a good meditation practice, which is something I've preached to on this show, is part of conquering the mind. Because this is the mind's problem, what you have right now, my love. It's not not real. This This is the mind telling you, can't do it, Amy. That's your name. I can't do it. But I have a good job. But what if? But what if? But what if? And conquering your mind is the most important thing you're going to do in this life. And realizing the reason I meditate, it's not to ignore my problems. It's not to um, get around going to therapy. It's not to ignore things. It's to cultivate the space in that brain of mine where I go, all right, I hear you, brain. I hear hear you chatter. Okay, all right, I hear you chattering telling me some bullshit, telling me I'm not good enough, telling me I don't deserve it, telling me I'm not uh, worthy. I hear you, brain. And it's the sense to know that you don't have to internalize what the brain is chattering to you about. Meditation teaches you, okay, sure, I, I thank you. Thank you for the message. You thank your mind. Thank you. Thank you for the message. Thank you. <laughs> And then you go on when you replace that with a positive thought. And what I was going to tell you guys too, in retrospect, of after meeting my two friends, and I started thinking about how I got here to 40 and how I got to be um, where I am and, and having a um, better mental outlook on life, is that I, I really worked at it. I, I'm telling you, and I... And so many of you listening go, I have such a bad, a bad child. I had this, I had that. So did I. <laughs> but you know what? I did. And this is going to sound so stupid. I, I listened to Louise Hay. Uh, it's called What I Believe. It's an audio download. What I Believe and a deep meditation. Okay. I listened to it on the airplane. I did for a, a while, a couple years back. I did on the plane ride home from uh, Portland. And I found that everything she was saying... I had already internalized. Like I, 
I started listening to that stuff like two or three years ago where she talks about forgiving your parents, forgiving yourself, um, what what fear is and all these things. And I, I remember years ago listening to her thinking, oh, this bitch is crazy. I don't have these problems. This is crazy. But over the years, yeah, you go, oh, shit, maybe I, you know, maybe my standards aren't high enough. Maybe that's why this is happening to me here and there and, you know. So now I think things have changed in my brain and, and it really is because of like starting by doing affirmations, right? Like positive affirmations. I, you say positive things to yourself. So for instance, if, if I were this person, I would, I would say something like, I am bold. I am, uh, what would I say to myself? I can work doing um, a job that I love. But I think that's actually a Louise Hay affirmation. It's like, my income is constantly increasing or I now have a job that suits my needs, pays me well and in an environment I like or something like that. She has cards you can look at with these wonderful affirmations and eventually you grow into that person, right? And eventually you grow into the person you want to become. It doesn't start that way. You you grow and you get older and you go, "Oh, oh, that's a weird thing I do. Why do I do that? Why am I depressed? That's a weird thing I'm doing. Why why don't I think I can do this? And then you kind of look at it and you go, oh, maybe it's this this issue I had back here as a kid or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And you work it out. You get better. You get stronger. Which is another one I wanted to uh, mention. It's how much shit that I settled for in my youth because I didn't think I was worth better. And that's a major one. That's a major lesson I just learned recently, by the way. Um... What are you settling for? You know, a, a lot of times that's a fear-based thought too, that if I let go of this thing that's not working, ever had a bad boyfriend, but you're afraid to leave that bad boyfriend because you don't know if there's going to be another boyfriend and maybe I'll never find something again or a job that you hate. What if I never find another job? Well, of course you will. And that's the thing is that the mind plays tricks on you and tells you that uh, maybe you won't find it again. Maybe you should just stay, just stay and be suffering, suffering and just stay and have kind of a low grade misery, right? Just stay, can't get better. There's nothing out there. It's not there's nothing out there. It's that you just don't know what that is yet. And the adventure of finding the new thing is scary. And that fear outweighs what you already know and what you know sucks though. You know what I'm saying? I guess the known is less daunting because at least you know what it's like to suffer. You know that you hate this job. You know that you hate this boyfriend. But the unknown is way, way scarier for some reason as humans. And not for some reason. It's because you don't know what it is. So you don't even know how to deal with it. You don't know how you're going to feel. And that's scary. I just had a situation where I had to let go of one thing. One thing that I'd been doing a certain way for many, many years, it was a relationship. Um, and I'm finding that it's being, it's going to be replaced by something even better. And usually that's the case. Usually that's the case. In my life, when I've ever let go of something that was rotten, <laughs> it's, it's seldom that rotten gets replaced with rotten. Usually rotten gets re- replaced with something so much better. So much better. Different. Maybe scary at first to adapt, right? Change is always, at least for me, fraught with a lot of anxiety. Um, 
you know, I, I don't do well with big change. <laughs> I do well with little change, I think. But, um, but yeah, it is so much better, boo-boos. If you're in something that sucks, think about yourself in the future. Ask yourself, is this what my 40-year-old, 60-year-old self would do? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I got to wrap it up. My kid's going to be up soon. Um, but I really, I really, again, I, I just wanted to say thank you for the people who came out. It was a very cathartic, wonderful time for me. I had a lot of mom guilt, of course, getting on that plane. But, you know, after a day, you're like, all right, I can, I can be away from my kid for 48 hours. He's going to be fine. My husband was home with him and, uh, and our nanny. So, okay. Um, but I wanted to just um, tell, tell the young bloods listening, it's very important to have a vision of who you want to become. And then not just young people, I'd say anybody. Because I think why I'm happy with who I am now is because I, I had a vision of who I wanted to be, not, not necessarily specifics. Like I'm not talking like stupid, you know, vision boards and crap like that where you just paste up a picture of a house I want a, I want a mansion. I want a ring. Like those things are fine. Those are good things to want and to have, and you should have those things if that's what you want. I'm not talking like that. I think, um, just a general idea of like, I remember thinking I want to be healthier mentally, physically. I want to be happier. I want to not have crippling anxiety about every little thing. (laughs) I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And I think that started for me around 28. And when I had an awakening and I read um, The Magic of Believing by Claude M. Bristol. Claude M. Bristol. The Magic of Believing. It's a book that Phyllis Diller credits as being the book that changed her life. She read it right before she started comedy at 35 years old. Phyllis Diller had five kids, by the way, and started stand-up at 35 years old and in four years made it to Carnegie Hall pretty inspiring shit and she has a wonderful autobiography called like a lampshade in a whorehouse anybody that wants to do anything um creative in life read the magic of believing read uh phyllis diller's autobiography because um oh and the war of art is great too for anybody wanting to make a living at something creative but uh the Magic of Believing is a book I recommend to anybody who's kind of at the phase that you are, Miss Amy, which is that 20-something of, I know I want to be somebody. I know I want to be successful. I know I want to be happy. I know I want to be inspired. I want to inspire other people. I know that there's something in me, right? But I'm afraid to do it. I'm afraid, and I don't know how, and I don't know how to think. And unfortunately, school does not teach you how to think which is why I studied philosophy. <laughs> I think it should be mandatory that they teach young people how to use the mind and how to control the mind. The mind is a fucker. If you let it rule you, your life is going to be misery. You rule your goddamn mind. <laughs> you tell your mind what's up. You control it. You control the fear and you control uh, what happens to you and how you react to things. Very important. Read it. The Magic of Believing where you'd feel the fear and do it anyway. For anybody that's listening that wants a better future and is terrified of it, we all are. Everybody is. Everybody is. But let me tell you, young bloods, the only secret I think to success and to all this 
is failing, 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 and then getting up and doing it again. That's all the fucking secret. That's what Dan Pena says. That's what everybody, all the great ones, the Tony Robbins, the Dan Pena's, the Napoleon Hills, the Claude M. Bristles. It's not the only thing they say, but, but prepare for failure. Count on it. Count on it. And go, okay, I just failed. And it sucks. It doesn't feel good. But it's not me. And I think that's where, for, at least in my life, the trouble came when I would identify with my failure. I would go, oh, I, you know, I used to bomb in the beginning of my career. Oh, I've just fucking ate shit at this show. Oh, I'm such a piece of shit. I would say, I'm such a bad person. I'm such a piece of shit. As opposed to, I didn't do such a great job tonight at my job. I just didn't do it. I didn't hit the mark. And here's why. You know what I mean? Like I would go down the rabbit hole of self-loathing of like, I'm a piece of shit. And I think that's why failure is so scary because a lot of us don't know how to separate failure of the thing you're doing instead of failure of I'm a failure. It's not I'm a failure. It's I failed at this thing I did today, yesterday, whatever. And move on. And know that your core, that who you are, is not the shit you're doing. It's not your past. It ain't your career. It's not your kids. You are not all these fucking things that are outside of you. Like I said, you're a divine being, an extension of God. We are all spokes on the same fucking wheel of spiritual whatever. We're all in the same thing. There's no difference. Black, white, man, woman, gender, whatever the fuck. By the way, I used an all-gender bathroom for the first time in Portland. And uh, not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> not because of the, not because of whatever gender horse shit. It's because uh, I don't want to take a piss next to some leather daddy taking a huge dump. You know what I mean? I just don't want fucking dudes taking shits next to me. <sighs> okay. There you go. That's all I got. My kids stay to sleep this whole time, and I'm so <laughs> excited. So read those, read these books, guys. Feel the fear, do it anyway. We got that one by Susan Jeffers. Download it. Tweet, fuck it. Link, fuck it. Whatever. Buy it on Amazon through my banner. Magic of Believing by Claude M. Bristol. Uh, Phyllis Diller's autobiography, Like a Lampshade in a Whorehouse, which I hate the title of, and it's stupid, but whatever. And The War of Art. For anybody who wants to be a writer, an artist of any creative venture, read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. This guy wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. And he wrote like a million scripts before he sold that show. This homeboy was living out of his car as like a 30-year-old dude. And it's such, it's such an inspiration. And that book really um, explains failure and the need to press on if you're doing something creative. It's a fucking amazing book. See, I don't know why there's not a course in school that teaches people how to get the shit they want out of life. There's no course that's like, conquer your mind, get over your bullshit, and do the work, and everything will be fine. <laughs> I should teach the course. Maybe that's what this podcast is. Because <laughs> it's the class that I wish somebody had given. I mean, I had this existentialism teacher, um, Dr. Makis, who passed on, unfortunately, but existentialism was the closest thing to something like this for me. The book Existentialism and Human Emotions by Jean-Paul Sartre. He talks about choice and how existence precedes essence, not essence precedes existence, meaning you are not defined. There's no core definition of what it is to be you, a human. 
because back before then they thought that essence proceed. It's so fucking stupid. The point is you're not defined. You come into the world and you may choose who you become. And yes, there are circumstances. Yes, you may be born in Africa in a starving village and your life fucking sucks and that sucks for you. And I'm sorry. And you're probably not listening to this podcast if that's the case. Highly unlikely. But if you're listening to this podcast, you likely live in a first world country. Probably got a fucking uh, IQ point or two in your skull. And I know no dipshits listen to my show. And you're probably smarter than most of the people that you encounter. You're probably the kind of person that doesn't like surface bullshit, surface dwellers, low-frequency conversations, and low-frequency living. So you're ahead of the curve. You are. You're ahead of the curve. Trust me. If you're listening to me and you like this, you're, you're, you're ahead of like 90% of human fucking retarded beings. You listen to me or Joe Rogan or Tom or Duncan or Ari or any of my friends or Joey, you, you're on point. You got, you got your entire life. <laughs> there you go. All right. I, uh, I really, I really enjoyed doing this episode. I didn't, I don't know how I would feel getting into it with the, the amount of shit that's swirling in my house, but, um, I'm really glad I sat down <clears throat> to record this today. <clears throat> I'm so disgusting. I'm sorry. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I really like, I really like this episode and I hope to meet you all in Dallas in Houston in Indy in Cincy and in DC. Um, Please go to thousandranch.com to get tickets. I do meet people after these shows because I'm only doing one show. So it's chill. I don't, it's not like I'm doing six shows and I want to blow my brains out by Sunday and I'm not, I'm not able to go out and say hi because I'm burnt out and pissed off. <laughs> so there you go. It's been Deep Rose. Um, yeah. Anyway, write to me. Um, I want to hear... What's going on in your life? That's Deep Bro Podcast at gmail.com. Let me know what's up with you if you want me to answer a question. I'm not saying I'm qualified to do that, but I do anyways. Uh, see a therapist, use Talkspace, use Glossier so I can keep those sponsors, guys. Okay. I love you. Um, God bless. Hare Krishna. And... Um, and all that stuff. All right, guys. Until next week, it's been Deep Bros. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans This ain't your mom's house It's a different theme Gotta be critically thinking Like you caught up at a cocktail party Our thoughts start to sink in John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates Got us talking all properly, topically Just a comedian discussing these philosophies Serious questions, silly people What's that? That's tea, bro it is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.